changing lives every day through innovative pediatric specialty care, research, and outstanding medical education. That's Shriners Hospitals for Children, Chicago. Proud to present another episode of our podcast series, Pediatric Specialty Care Spotlight. Here's Melanie Cole. Welcome. Today we're talking about learning disabilities in children with cleft and cranial facial difference. My guest today is Dr. Meredith Albert. She's a licensed clinical psychologist with the cleft and craniofacial team at Shriners Hospitals for Children in Chicago. Dr. Albert, so glad to have you with us. What an interesting topic. So before we talk about this connection between cleft and cranial facial difference and learning disabilities, tell us what's the role of a psychologist on the cleft and cranial facial team. Hi, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. On our particular team here in Chicago, we have two psychologists, and we meet with patients and their families during, you know, daily surgical clinic visits on an as-needed basis. And then we also meet with our patients during their annual and or biannual, sometimes triannual team visits to discuss, consult, make recommendations to support our patients' social-emotional, behavioral, cognitive, and academic functioning. We also provide, depending on our availability, we like to do neuropsychological testing as needed to assess for our patients' difficulties in areas of cognitive or academic or emotional functioning. And then I'm also involved in several different uh, research projects with partners at other hospitals nationally. What an interesting profession that you're in. So let's talk about learning disabilities. How is that classified, a learning disability? What is really the definition of it? That's a good question because I think it's something that not everyone uh, understands very clearly. So at the most basic level, uh, learning disability is a neurological difference. It's a difference in the way that someone's brain is wired. Uh, Someone with a learning disability or a learning difference can reflect the differences in the way that someone learns, and it can affect their ability to do things like read or write or complete math-related tasks. And it's really something we look at on a continuum. Some people can have really significant uh, learning disabilities across multiple areas of functioning, and sometimes people have something that's more isolated to one specific area. People can also experience difficulties in the area of executive functioning, which is our ability to do things like organize, plan, use abstract reasoning, our short or long-term memory, or our ability to sustain our attention. So underneath this umbrella of learning disability, there are really more specialized types that someone can experience. So again, like I was mentioning, it could be something like a specific area of reading that's a difficulty, or it could be someone has no difficulty with decoding, but they have a problem with comprehension. Um, What's really, really important for people to understand is that having a learning disability is in no way a reflection of how smart you are. People with learning disabilities generally are of average and oftentimes above average intelligence, but they have difficulty understanding concepts or learning the way we typically see material taught in schools. Wow, what an excellent definition. I just learned something I really didn't know. So thank you for clearing that up and and explaining it so well. So how susceptible are children with a diagnosis of cleft or another craniofacial condition to having a learning disability? And what kinds do you see the most with them? Okay, so that's a great question. So Kiddos who are diagnosed with a craniofacial condition, and we can speak um, specifically about children with a cleft, and oftentimes a cleft palate, 
um, can often, those difficulties can often be related to, to language. So the research is still, I would say, fairly limited, and some of the results have been mixed, but we completed a longitudinal research project here uh, under the direction of Dr. Kathy Cap-Simon, who was a psychologist um, that recently retired from our team at Shriners. Um, and what we found is that when children have ongoing language and speech impairments, they're more susceptible to reading impairments. So when you think about it, a child who has a cleft, and if they have difficulty early on, and we're saying the first couple years of life, and sometimes that persists later uh, with their speech and articulation and things like that, then they generally have problems in an area of what we call phonological processing, or their ability to hear sounds and produce sounds. So if you think about it in written or in verbal speech, when you have a difficulty with producing a sound and communicating a sound, then that can certainly affect or translate to how you can read that word or what we call decode that sound on a written page. So other areas certainly can be affected, such as our comprehension. Um, and then this in turn can affect their a child's ability to read, um, participate in language arts classes, uh, writing and spelling are areas that are definitely um, often affected. And but other classes that rely on reading skills, such as science, social studies, so it really can affect all areas of, of academic uh, performance across school. Other diagnostic groups that we treat here are for kids. Um, for instance, we, we see a lot of kids with a lot of different syndromes, but one uh, diagnosis of um, for kids that we see here is with craniosynostosis, which is a condition in which one or more of the sutures in the skull closes too early in utero, and that can affect uh, normal brain growth and skull growth. So those are kiddos also that we start developmental assessments with early on in life and keep track of how their academic performance is across all areas as they grow older. So you just mentioned early on in life. And so how early can these learning disabilities um, be identified? And how are they diagnosed? How do you identify them? So that's a great question. So for a learning disability, when it's identified, for some things that are developmental tasks, we can do that as early as, you know, six months to three months to one year of age. So if we're looking at fine motor or gross motor developmental milestones and things like that, then we can look at those. We use a measure called uh, the Bailey, which is a, a big measure where we assess all of these different areas. And so those things can be identified and, and targeted early on in life. Just because a child might have problems with gross motor or fine motor um, or even some of the early speech milestones doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have a difficulty when they are older and they become more school-aged. But when we're talking about learning disabilities and thing, areas of like reading and writing and, and math, usually we start to identify them at the beginning, hopefully, of a child's school years. So it really depends on the nature of the disability. Sometimes a child is able to start basic decoding skills and they can read, but then when they start really moving from that reading to learn or that from that learning to read piece and then start reading to learn, then we can see more difficulties with comprehension or as the material becomes more difficult, then those are kids that are really starting to fall behind. So what we do and the, the way that we can diagnose these things is that we will talk with parents, often usually bring it to our attention in our clinic visits. And so we'll 
get as much information as we can um, at our time of consultation, and then we might try to seek out additional information from the teacher. Sometimes parents will talk about their child being defiant in school, they're not paying attention, they're getting into trouble, uh, not completing homework, and that's always a red flag for me, particularly for a kiddo that's maybe a little bit older than, you know, kindergarten, but when they're in first, second grade, because I always ask my follow-up question is, how's everything going in school? And not always, but often parents might say, oh, you know, they're having a hard time in reading or they're having a hard time in this area. Are they receiving services? And the answer oftentimes is probably not. And so that's where we really want to make sure we jump in and that child has a full assessment completed so that we can identify the nature of their learning difficulties and make sure we're giving correct remediation uh, as, as appropriate. And so what we try to do is we will have families when they come into our clinics and we identify that these things are probably taking place, we'll ask families to go back to their school district and initiate what's called a case study so that hopefully the school psychologist or someone who works in the school setting will complete a full battery of testing. Oftentimes that's not possible. And because at our Chicago hospital here, we see families from uh, some pretty rural, rural areas of the country um, where services are very limited, um, and certainly schools are very overwhelmed with providing services. So if those uh, that testing can't be completed in the school, we will then ask the parents um, to seek out local providers, and we'll help them try to find local providers that can complete neuropsychological testing, or uh, we will have children when we can come back here and we'll complete the neuropsychological testing here in our hospital. Well, that was really segued into my next question, which you basically answered about the services that parents and caregivers should seek for their child to support their functioning in school. So thank you for answering that in advance. So then tell us whether they can get that help with the school or you are helping them through Shriners. How can your team support patients and families to better cope with this disability. Tell us about your team and who's involved. Okay, so what will happen typically from a, a team day visit is that patients come in uh, usually around 8 or 8.30 in the morning and they're in, seen by our entire team. And so our team here at the Chicago Shriners Hospital is made up of psychologists. Uh, we have social workers, speech pathologists, our surgeons, our orthodontic and dental team, our x-ray technicians, our audiologists, our ENT specialists, our nurse practitioners, our nursing team. I think I've got I think I've got everybody. And so the patients will come through and see our entire team. And so I might have a consult with a family and say, oh, the parent's really suggesting that the child's not listening, they're not following directions. I start to think, is there problems with comprehension? The speech pathologist might think, oh, is there a problem with receptive language ability? We start to consult and talk, and then our audiologist comes in and says, there's some kind of hearing loss going on. This child needs tubes or some kind of surgical intervention that will really help support their hearing. And so that's why it's really nice that we all get to work together and I'll put our piece of, of the puzzle in. For psychologists, what we'll do is when patients leave our team visits, 
and we do suspect some kind of learning issues or we know that there's existing learning issues and the child's not getting the correct services, we will ask parents to go back to the school and to have them obtain something called a 504 plan where a child may get accommodations like extended test time or having questions read to them verbally. Uh, Other times children need a higher level of service and so we will make sure families understand how to request or initiate uh, the case study to uh, get an IEP or an individualized education program or plan in place so that the child can get uh, more intensive pull-out services or placement in a special education classroom. Or other times, there's there's a whole lot of other services such as RTI or response intervention when students are provided with interventions at increasing levels of intensity to accelerate their rate of learning and help support their area of difficulty. But often what we find is when a child is having some sort of social-emotional experience like anxiety, they're frustrated, they feel sad. If we can address all of these other needs, such as their speech and language needs or their learning differences or their hearing differences, and we can really figure out what we can do to support that child in those areas, a lot of those other emotional experiences can, can improve over time. That is so interesting. Dr. Albert, what a great educator you are. So please wrap it up for us with your best advice for families who have a child with cleft and cranial facial difference and they're concerned about learning disabilities as they might start to show up and what you'd like them to know about the services and support that you can give at Shriners. Well, I think that it's really important to make sure that, you know, when we have families come in for our annual team visit, we can spend a lot of time talking about all those areas of academic functioning and social-emotional functioning and to really have good, comprehensive evaluations and consultations completed so that your child is getting the best uh, services to support their needs um, that they can back in their home environment. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing your expertise today. That wraps up another episode of Pediatric Specialty Care Spotlight with Shriners Hospitals for Children in Chicago. Head on over to our website at shrinerschicago.org for more information and to get connected with one of our providers. If you found this podcast as interesting as I did, please share with your friends and family members, share on social media, and be sure to check out all the other interesting podcasts in our library. Until next time, I'm Melanie Cole.